you're good at your regular job because you have other things on the side. It doesn't matter if you're in engineering, marketing, sales, partnership, the DevRel mission is still the same. You want to make your developer successful on your platform. So I really like this community aspect of let's build stuff together. Creativity and passion can't really be ordered. This is not something I can deliver every day at hours a day. But if you give me the space, if you give us the conditions to make it happen, then it will happen naturally. Hello, and welcome to Developer Love, the podcast for people who build developer communities. We'll hear from people working to win the hearts and minds of developers, including founders, execs, and the top minds in developer relations, dev marketing, and community management. I'm Patrick Woods, the CEO of Orbit, the community experience platform. Developer Love is brought to you by Heavybit, an accelerator and venture fund dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. Today, I'm speaking with Nicolas Grandier, developer advocate at Typeform. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show today, Nico. Could you um, tell us a little bit about who you are? Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, pretty excited about this podcast. So I'm Nicholas, and I'm a developer advocate at Typeform. I've been there uh, for two years, and I'm also running the uh, SF DevRel meetup in San Francisco. Yeah, awesome, awesome. So how did you get into the world of DevRel and community in the first place? So it's been about seven years, I will say now. Um, the first time I got to be introduced to developer advocates, it was during my first internship in uh, Silicon Valley, where I discovered that uh, I was a software engineer. I was doing uh, software during the day. I was hacking stuff, but I was spending most of my time in hackathons. And at that time, the hackathons were new, and you will see all the companies that were uh, starting, the Twilio's, the SendGrids, the Firebase, they were all there. And they had those people that you will see every weekend and they were the developer advocates. Uh, I don't know if they were called developer advocates at that time. But uh, that was my first introduction to it. And after a year in uh, San Francisco, going to a lot of hackathons, I had to b- go back to France. And at that time, a company called Mailjet, which was like a, a European email provider, was launching. And they were looking for some people to help them go to the developer market in Europe. And this is basically how I got started, doing some contracting for them and uh bringing the experience that I had from going to hackathons in San Francisco. Awesome. I love the San Francisco DevRel meetup. I've, I've been quite a few times. I'm interested, what's the thing that keeps you going when you're organizing that thing month over month? I know it's got to be a lot of work. The meetup, is, it's a really fun place and it's a good time to put a face on the usernames that we see online. We're all very connected uh, through the different social media that we use. Is it through Twitter? Is it through Slack? Is it through GitHub? And sometimes we don't get the opportunity to meet in person. So whenever... Everybody is around in the city. It's great to meet in a, in a meetup and build those relationships because we're going to build some projects together. We're going to work on some things together for our different companies or just for fun. And it's also a good way to get people introduced to the space. Uh, if they're just new and got a new job, just starting into the, the space, they got to meet other people that can eventually guide them or answer the first few questions they may have about being a developer advocate. So I really like this community aspect of let's build stuff together. Shifting gears a bit, what would you say is the secret to building things developers love? So there's no specific secret, but I think it has to be something that excites you first. You're the you're the, your first audience. You're a developer. For most of the people in the in the space, we are all developers, and so you should be excited first for all the different reasons. Is it because you're solving a problem that you've seen in one of your customers? Is it a problem that you solve for someone that you've seen? running a business, 
or is just to have fun. Uh, this is where you get your excitement and this is where you, you're building this and this is something that's going to be shown in the way you render it. Is it through the effort you put into the design? Is it the efforts you put into writing the blog post? People are going to feel this excitement. And if you try to fake it, and I, this is how I feel personally, whenever I, I do something that I'm not 100% passionate, you can feel that it was not my first choice and this is not the content that I want to deliver, but I was kind of forced to do by sales, by marketing, by another force. And it ends up being a, an okay content that doesn't resonate as much with developers. What's your advice for, for companies that are trying to, to tap into that passion of their, of their advocates or of their community leaders or whomever? You know, what's your advice for companies in getting their best, most passionate work? <laughs> I think like everywhere, uh, not specifically for developer advocates, but uh, you you got to leave some space. Creativity and passion can't really be ordered. And uh, this is not something I can deliver every day at hours a day. But if you give me the space, if you give us the time, if you give us the conditions to make it happen, then it will happen naturally. If you sometimes put too much processes, if you put some numbers was like, all right, this week, this month, you have to create that much content, then the creativity aspect of it will disappear and the impact that those people are going to have on the content will disappear. So, Yeah, it's a great point. It's interesting because it may contrast a little bit with, I think, one of the hottest topics in, in our space right now, which is KPIs and measurement improving ROI of DevRel and community activities. So, you know, how do you think you balance this sort of, on one hand, the the creativity and having the space and not knowing when a project's going to be delivered because it just takes time versus, you know, the sort of business need to deliver results? You know, how do you, how do you rectify those two things? It's a fine balance uh, for sure. It really depends on the, the size of the company. It really depends on the different goals that the company have right now as well as what they want to do with community. But I think it's, it's best where... You have some actual number of goals and things that drive the, the global strategy. It's like, we want to talk to JavaScript developers. So we're going to make all the efforts to have a proper JavaScript documentation, proper SDK documentation. It's like those things you can measure in terms of when they will be delivered, how they will be delivered, and the impact you will have on the business. But then everything that comes around, how we're going to publicize this and which type of partnerships we're going to build around this and which, which is the innovation and the creative aspect of it. This is a bit harder to measure when you're doing the planning and a bit harder to measure after, but it doesn't mean that it's not valuable and it doesn't mean that you should underestimate the time you should spend on those things. This is probably more a long-term goal and a long-term impact as well. So thinking about your own programs, you know, how do you demonstrate that your efforts are, are paying off? What are the things you track and, and, and demonstrate internally? Yeah, so we could do better at tracking, uh, but on the different things we track, mainly on this part on the, around the content and the return we get from the community, uh, we're using Glitch. And so one thing we track is the activity of a Glitch project in terms of views, so how many people are going to see that project, and in terms of remixes, which which could be uh, understood as a, as a fork. So that shows us how many of the people really went and tried to activate that project. Uh, so it's a bit further than just like starting a project and say, oh, I like it. This is more like, okay, I want to try to implement it myself. And in our case, we use that measure to eventually push some product features. The API projects that we have are usually leave on the side 
of the product. Uh, for some of the projects, there are like patches to uh, features that don't exist in the product. And by measuring those things, we, we can see if there is some engagement, if that's something that people want, and eventually that gets implemented. Another way of we doing this is by measuring the API calls and the OAuth uh, traffic. Uh, if we force everyone to uh, go through OAuth, that gives us more uh, data on how they onboard people and how many users are using their app. And so by measuring those, we also see the trends of how many apps were created this month, how many made their first calls, and how many users it impacts on our, on our site. That's really cool. So our community, you know, we all love tools. We love products. You know, what's the one tool that you can't live without? I will say, and I already mentioned that now, is, the, uh, is Glitch. That's my tool of choice, probably because it's easy to get started. So I can create a Glitch project in two clicks, and certainly everything that I build is public. So I don't have to worry too much. It's going to be something that I can share at the end of the day. I can make a tweet about this. And I was like, oh, wait, you know what? I've spent the, the afternoon on this thing, and now you can all use it. So documentation in this product will be easier as well. It's going to be a markdown file, and it's already there. It's also a great tool for engaging people, because for them, it's easy to replicate and make it happen. When I give examples on how to consume a webhook and do something with this webhook, well, I don't have to tell them about NROC. I don't have to tell them about deploying into Heroku or other cloud service. Everything comes built in. It's like, well, you just remix this, you get the URL, and you paste this URL somewhere else, and you're already good to go. So it's easy to activate them and uh, get them excited. So this is definitely, for me, the, the tool of choice at the moment. It helps me run uh, workshops as well. Uh, everybody's on the same machine. We don't have to think about libraries that you have to install first. We are all on the same environment. So we re really recommend people to invest in their Teams page on Glitch. Cool, right on. You're thinking beyond tools. What's your favorite trick of the trade? And if I tell my secret sauce, it won't be secret, right? Is, is that what we say about ma magic? <laughs> For sure, there's like probably shortcuts of things you can, you can do that we can call low-hanging fruits, mainly when it comes to, to content. And I think... It's, it's a good thing in, in uh, overall, usually. If you want to give more impact, more visibility to your content, it's always great to do that with someone else. And it's always great to bring someone else on board. So yes, you want to demonstrate your product, you want to demonstrate your technology, but what if you added another API on it? What if you added another project to it? And that's certainly, you're talking to two communities, three communities at a time, and that gives you a bit more uh, reach. The other thing that I really like as a trick is whenever you start something like this is to try to put you a new constraint. Um, so today I want to learn about React in something else uh, with my product. So I want to make that constraint clear. And this is the things that I want to explore. I don't know anything about GraphQL. Well, today I'm going to make a, a GraphQL example, learning as a, as a beginner what it takes and how you connect GraphQL with my tool, or how you make simple things. Uh, so, like before starting, like what are the rules of your project, uh, and put the boundaries of it. It makes the game a bit more fun because if you're like into your muscle memory of like I already know all the tools, I already know all the frameworks, then you lose a bit the um, the innocent aspect of discovering a new technology. So it's it's always good to to get that perspective back. And I think that that comes from putting limits, boundaries on your stack and projects. Wow, yeah, that's great. So you mentioned two things in that answer. One is 
partnerships. The other is is constraints. I want to jump back to the partnerships aspect of that answer briefly. So what's your advice to other DevRel and community leaders in terms of attracting partners and collaborators? You know, what's what's your process for making that a successful experience for all parties involved? Yeah, so I think we've done that very naturally. Again, that's nothing that has to be forced. This is usually, and this is where like the meetups, this is where the community is great. It's like, oh, I have a good feeling with that person. I think it's uh, something that will work naturally. Let's try to work together on one project. And eventually that can become a series. Eventually that can become uh, a bigger involvement. Uh, but I think for us as uh, developer advocates, we could be part of the BizDev organization that specifically works on partnership. Uh, but when they do that, they really are driven by sales number or they're driven by adoption. Be like, okay, we should have an integration with those people because that's going to grow our business. This is how much money it's going to bring. Whereas us, we're more like, oh, let's be a bit more genuine and see how things connect. And let's do it a bit the hackish way at the beginning. And eventually we can work on something bigger once we've proved uh, that there is adoption uh, or there is interest. Now we can make a full-on integration. We'll pass that to a, a regular engineering team to make the whole work. But that's something we discovered. Like we're in a, in the jungle making the first pass in the jungle with a machete. This is a way to explore things. So it sounds like speed is the most important thing at that early phase? Yes. So this is a luxury we have as developer advocates, as developer relations. I think we have a bit more time on our plate, kind of, uh, compared to an engineering team, where we have that flexibility of, oh, you want to explore a partnership opportunity with that company? Let's instead talk DevRel to DevRel, work on a fun project together, show and demonstrate the value of the two products combined, and let's measure the adoption, the engagement on that, uh, and see if it's worth it. Instead of like jumping a whole team, a whole sprint, and more sprints actually into building a full integration that won't hit what people were expecting or that won't have a market. So we're saving time and resources and uh, we go quicker to the momentum. This is one of the strengths of DevRel for partnerships. Yeah, that's great. So you also mentioned self-imposed constraints helping to drive the creativity of your projects. How do you pick those constraints in the first place? That's a great question. I'll tell you what is my, my thing. I don't know if that's a trait of character, but I may get bored very quickly. Uh, so I always want to try new things. And the issue with tech is like there is always a new thing on the block. There is always a new framework, a new technology. But again, that's a strength and uh, a fun part of the job where you have the luxury of time to go try those things and see how it could work for you. So I would like to get the time to discover a new tool. And usually this is how I pick this constraint is I haven't done anything with GraphQL yet. Let's spend two days to discover GraphQL and write something about my learning. I haven't done anything about serverless. I want to discover serverless. It's not as new, but let's discover serverless and spend a whole lot of time to understand the different providers or understand how I can connect things together, automate things, and just put some constraints. So you will do similar projects, but you choose different tools to force yourself at discovering different things. I'll, I'll tell you, my, my new thing right now is, it's more on the personal side, but is using some of the Typeform technology. I decided that for this project, I'm not going to code anything. I want to discover the no-code experience. That's actually a topic we can talk about, but what it means for developer advocates to talk to the no-code community, because this is a new community that we see, and for some of our 
products and tools, it makes sense. They're part of a community and they might not be coders or they don't use code, but in the end, they're the same hackers and they're the same builders that we're talking to regularly. And so my constraint for that project was like, I'm just going to use uh, no-code tools and we'll see what I can achieve. Cool. So what are the no-code, low-code tools you're excited about working on these days? There, <laughs> no-code tools are many. The good thing about this space is like right now it's growing. There are like so many of them. I will say I get excited by different things. I get excited by things like Glide or Bravo Studio, uh, which are two apps that let you build mobile apps using uh, Airtable, Google Spreadsheets, and uh, for Bravo with a Figma design. So certainly I know nothing about design. I know nothing about uh, mobile development, but suddenly that becomes something that's available to me. And uh, it seems easy to build native-like apps. The only thing I had to know is connect things together. So this is definitely one I, I like a lot. And I have a lot of questions as well around something called Parabola, which seems to be a bit more advanced than Zapier and doing a, a lot of more things for APIs and connecting to all kinds of APIs. And so people are building crazy workflows around that. Cool. You know, shifting gears a bit, what do you believe about DevRel that no one else believes? That means I have an original thought and I believe I'm the only one thinking of it, which probably is not the case. I will say one thing I believe that's strongly true is it doesn't really matter where we end up in an organization. It's one of the questions that people have, right? When they start into DevRel uh, in the company, when they are in a company and they feel there is not the right place, they always ask others, like, where does it belong? And while I think it's a, it's a good question in terms of like numbers, reporting, career paths, and all stuff, I don't think it matters in terms of like the mission and what the day-to-day job is. And I think this is one thing I strongly believe. It doesn't matter if you're in engineering, marketing, sales, partnership, the DevRel mission is still the same. You want to make your developer successful on your platform. And all the activities you're going to take are going to be pretty much similar, no matter where you sit. Yeah, that's a question everyone seems to ask. Uh, so who inspires you? You know, Any people or teams that are inspiring you in DevRel or community management right now? There are a lot of people that do great things in uh, developer advocacy. And many inspire me at, at different levels. I get really excited by everyone that does streaming right now. Um, so the people at Postman, they, they put up some good streaming content suddenly in a in couple of weeks, just reacting to, to things that were happening. So I'm really admired this shift and like the reaction to it. I'm very excited by people that managed to ship a lot of content and engage a lot with their uh, community. So I don't think she's in typically DevRel anymore, but like Cassidy Williams, who was doing a lot of things around content, CSS, HTML hacking. And in a way, this is DevRel and the way she engages her community. This is also really inspiring. But in general, I'm inspired by all of us. Uh, everyone that's in the team, the community of DevRel, they're doing a lot of different things at different level. And this is the drawback of having such a community. I want to do all those things as well. <laughs> uh, so when I see someone writing a great piece of blog post or starting a series about documenting what they do in their own community. I was like, oh, this is so nice. I want to do the same. I want to get more into writing this type of content. When I see people going and getting engaged with a specific community somewhere a bit more remote than when we talk about the, the original tech hubs, I was like, oh, we want to do that. I want to do that. It has a lot of meanings for us. 
And so there, there are a lot of people doing a lot of different things everywhere. Cool. What would you say has been your proudest moment as a dev advocate? So I don't know if I have the proudest moments. I guess pride is a is an interesting feeling personally. But I recently felt very connected to my company, my product, and what we do as a community. And that's a story you probably have read, maybe now. With this whole situation that is happening right now uh, over the world, a lot of businesses had to shut down, and uh, they were struggling. Comes uh, a story of a family that are based in France, in the Alps, uh, near Chamonix. They are selling fruits on the markets, and the government shuts down the farmer's market, so they can't sell fruits anymore. This family has been doing that for dozens of years. They're 60 years old uh, people. They were close to retired, and now they lose their source of income. Their son is based in Canada, has been telling them to go digital for many years, and they haven't done it because the only thing they knew was the farmer's market. And because of this whole situation, from Canada, their son sets up quickly a type form connected to a bunch of different tools and makes their business digital. And now it's been three, four weeks that they're running and they're considering uh, dropping the farmer's market because that brings enough revenue for them, uh, makes their life easier. They don't have to run and imagine when they're six years old, loading and unloading the truck every every days because they were doing markets every day. Uh, now it's a bit more comfortable for them. They have the money in their bank account. Everything goes digital to Stripe. They do the deliveries at different pickup places in the in the valley. So they bring business to other businesses. So it's a flower shop somewhere. It's a bakery shop somewhere else. So they're they're bringing economy back to the valley, uh, connecting people. So this is this is a great story of like okay, I think we're the devrel aspect of this is more on the community side and trying to find solutions with this specific customer. I'm like, okay, this is not in the product, but let's see how we can hack things together to make it happen for you. As well as connecting the tools together so it is a part of the no-code thing where you make a type form, you connect it to Stripe to collect payments, you connect it later to an app that was doing circuit, so it optimized the route so you can do the deliveries, and you're empowering a new business to sustain and uh, help a company, uh, company uh, a family live. That would be a recent highlight on the job. That's incredible. And this family, they got mentioned in the Stripe article regarding their last run of funding. Oh, wow. So like, oh, well, we, we raised a bunch, of, a bunch of money. So the, the guy published uh, a tweet about, like, this is what I do for my parents, whatever. And the next day, Stripe announced their run uh, funding. And there is like one link that say, oh, we do, we do help all kinds of companies, including farmers in France. <laughs> <laughs> and so they, they, they found the time to include that into the, the press release. And it's it's great. Wow. So for the non-French listeners to the program, explain to us Raclette. <laughs> uh, yes. So as you may have heard already, uh, I'm not native and I come from France. So sometimes I speak with a, a bit of French accent. And Raclette is a, a social tradition in France where you all invite your friends at home and you share some melted cheese, a raclette cheese, with potatoes and charcuterie. And then if, you, if you're from Switzerland, you will claim that it's from Swiss. Uh, that's it's a Swiss thing and not a French thing, but it's books. 
And that's something that's very really common around winter. People get to invite you at their house. They have raclette party with the office, with the people from your soccer club. Like you get raclette parties all the time because the winter is cold and you need to gain some uh, some fat. And um, I realized that that's something that we didn't have in San Francisco, and I was missing this social aspect. And um, this is how I decided to launch as a side project a raclette delivery business called sfcheeseparty.com. I guess this is where you want it to go, where you can order online uh, a cheese party and we'll bring you the cheese, the device to melt the cheese and uh, everything you need to have fun and uh, have a social time in a, in a different way with your friends. That's an amazing side project. Yeah, and it's a, it's a no-code project. Uh, doesn't need anything. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so this podcast is called Developer Love. Uh, we talk about developers. We talk about things we love. Uh, so I'm interested, what's one thing you're loving right now? One thing I really love right now is that we have in mind, people have in mind, or try to have in mind, or remind other people that don't have this in mind to keep making developer content, developer tutorials, projects accessible to the people that get started. We all kind of forget after years of coding after years of being into the, the space, we all kind of forget the past that we followed when we got started. And I feel that what I love right now is like there's still people trying to make this accessible and available to all. And through all kinds of tools, this is definitely something true. Is it true Glitch? Is it true the different uh, boot camps? Is it true something like Twilio Quest? Uh, there are different ways to get people into that and lower the, the things that can scare you. It looks scary from the outside, and I love that there are many forces that are trying to make it more accessible. Hmm. It sounds like empathy and a beginner's mindset are really important to your work. Yes, uh, empathy is important to understand what is the issue from the customer's point of view, so you can help them the best. And beginners, because we all are beginners somewhere, it might be through code, it might be through a special tool, I'm a beginner on everything. This is also why I do project by constraints. Is like I want to be a beginner in everything, and the reason why I choose developer advocate as a as a career path instead of like software engineering is that this is where I get my my excitement by learning new things and learning a bit of everything, uh, not being a master at specific in particular. And so I'm a beginner in almost everything that I've tried because then I get bored. <laughs> yeah, so having this beginner mindset helping you bring more people on board and help them better. Great. Well, Nico, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, I've learned a lot. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me. I hope some of this rumble made sense. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If people want to learn more about what you're up to, uh, where should we send folks to learn more? Uh, You're going to make me pronounce my username, which is Pixong. That has been my username for more than 15 years on the internet. Uh, But this is where you're going to find me on GitHub, Twitter, and all the different places. And uh, if you ask me, I can tell you where it comes from. Ask me in DMs. <laughs> can you spell it for us? Yeah, this is where I, I should have chosen another username. <laughs> P-I-C-S-O-U-N-G. Awesome. Well, uh, we'll see you on the internet. Thanks. See you there. Thanks for listening to Developer Love. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider giving us a five-star rating on iTunes and tell a friend. You can learn more about Orbit at orbit.love slash podcast and follow us on Twitter at Orbit Model. <laughs>